Welcome to SMQB's episode 109, which is available on Spotify, Apple Pod, and YouTube. Hello, uh, hello guys. We, I'm joined, this is Rooster, joined by House and Pope. We're missing two. Seems to be the their standard right. uh, like? fare lately. It's like in spring, it's just kind of optional whether you show Rooster. Yeah, you know, guys have trials and decide that that's more important than trials. showing up for the pod kids travel. children my god all right Paella and wine milk is missing milk is missing the pod to root on the phillies <laughs> the little league phillies oh, oh okay all right let's make sure we get hey, that. before have, do they have any wins <laughs> I, I, know the, I know the major league ones do, major league ones don't but i don't they know have, about, um, i think the little league guys have more wins than the the actual Phillies. If they you know, how you're lucky because uh, I couldn't find an image of a broom that was going to put there up for my uh, <laughs> virtual background for you. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, hey, before we get started, let me uh, just just harken back to episode 108 where we made some predictions for the outcome of the men's Final Four. The Milkman had FSU going all the way. Or FAU. 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 Popester had Miami and yours truly rooster said that Yukon would steamroll Miami. And then whoever won the FAU um, San Diego state game. So that's our show for the uh, week. We'll, we'll check with you next week. <laughs> actually, actually it was a great, it was a great show. I was sorry. I missed it. But if I heard it right, Pope said, the U is going to carry, hang the banner. You can mark my words and play it back. <laughs> and in any event, they would not be steamrolled by UConn. Is what he I said. think that I think not getting steamrolled was my. You know how do you define steamrolled? <laughs> <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide. Hey, speaking of UConn, I have a trivia question for you, fellas. You know Donovan Klingon, the seven foot two guy on UConn. Yeah, the yeah. Klingon. He was born in February of two thousand four, the year of UConn's second championship with Ben Gordon and uh, Okafor. Do you know where he was born? Uh that's Who, Klingon. Yeah, on a, a Star Trek ship. Yeah, like, it must have been in the outer reaches of the galaxy or something. Bristol, Connecticut. Oh wow. Yep. Home of the home of the ESPN. Yeah, baby. Hey, um, before we we get to the men's finals, house uh, <clears throat> the women's finals was amazing. It, I think it changed the public's perception of women's college basketball. Almost ten million people tuned tuned into that uh, LSU Iowa game. Talk about that game. I think that um, I mean, there's a lot of commentary right now. That overall, if people were watching both, the women's tournament was more entertaining than the men's tournament. And I think a pretty good argument can be made for that. Um, I think America as a whole got introduced to women's college basketball. And 
a a player that you know the LSU champion coach Kim Mulkey said is a generational player in Caitlin Clark, and I I confess I had seen highlights from time to time of Caitlin Clark, but I hadn't really watched a game, and I turned it on and I said, like this reminds me of Larry Bird. I mean, yeah. a- anywhere in the gym, uh, her competitiveness, fierce competitor. The, the way she dishes the ball, but uh, what what we saw in that final four with Iowa's upset of, you know, a USC, a University of uh, South Carolina team who hadn't lost in 41 games, was the defending national champion, was the prohibitive favorite to repeat as national champion. Made UConn women sort of irrelevant the last couple of years. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. I mean, that uh, you, you, UConn women were you could not knock them off the pedestal. And finally the one really who did and has become like the new standard barrier has been South Carolina and Don Staley. But Don Staley was interviewed for some men's uh, college jobs after, after they won the championship last year. And I think she signed for like a two something million dollar. Yeah. She's incredible. She she's incredible. Uh, But the, uh, what the women's final produced as you said, was almost 10 million viewers at its peak, 12.6 million viewers. And just to put that into perspective, of course, it was the biggest women's college basketball viewership ever. But that 10 million viewership is bigger than any MLS game ever, any Stanley Cup final game since 1973, bigger than the 2023 Orange Bowl or Sugar Bowl, bigger than any Thursday night football game this past year, Bigger than any NBA Finals game between the Suns Bucks 2021. Bigger than any World Series game between Dodgers Rays in 2020. The world was watching, and the women really put on a show. Um, LSU Iowa put together the most combined points in a, a final game ever. LSU scored the most points of all time, and people were introduced to Angel Reese, uh, who some are calling you know Bayou Barbie. And Angel Reese is only a sophomore. And her talent down low uh, to control the boards. Her relentlessness, too, is amazing. Relentlessness. And, of course, what has grabbed the headlines is uh, this whole back and forth uh, and and, and undertones, really, of how public is treating it. And some in the the critics are treating this in a, a racial way in that, at the end of the game, with time running out, Angel Reese basically tried to get in Caitlin Clark's face to say, you know, you can't see me now. She was mocking Caitlin Clark having done that in a game. Kate, Caitlin Clark having done it. Yeah, Caitlin Clark have, having done it to Louisville in their game. And right. and uh, and after that, you know, uh, Angel Reese was kind of pointing to her ring finger because she's getting say, the she ring. She had also the ring finger. Saying, saying that she got the ring. And Caitlin Clark time. also uh, talked some smack to the um, woman on the uh, South Carolina team who they didn't guard. They remember they left somebody open that whole yeah. game yeah. because they were packing the, the middle and they left this woman wide open and she couldn't throw it in the ocean. Caitlin Clark mocked her after the game. So, you know, it's fair. She, all is fair. And I mean, she, this is something mocked, men do mocked. all the time. Yeah, she mocked her during the game. She she basically waved her hand at it and said, "Go ahead, shoot it if you want. Um, you'll never make it." And she ended up passing up the ball. 
And so she has this kind of like moxie, this, this real competitive fire. And Angel Reese did something very similar at the end of the game. And people started saying that Angel Reese was classless. You were ahead by a whole bunch of points. And, you know, she's trying to walk off the court and you're getting in her face. And a lot of people uh, responded saying, are you kidding me here with the double standard? Right. And um, Caitlin Clark has come out and said, it doesn't bother me at all. We're two hard-nosed competitors. She She's a great player. She should be able to say whatever she wants. I would do the same. She's a great competitor. My take on all this is this is phenomenal for the sport. Yep. Like the fact that Twitter is dominated by whether or not this was classless or not, and that everything in the sports world is about whether or not Angel Reese should have done what she did relative to Caitlin Clark. This is so good for women's college basketball. And I think that game and this Final Four catapulted them into what will be reliable viewership. Last point here, which is pretty interesting, the ESPN owns the women's college tournament rights for a total of $34 million contract through 2023-2024. I think the price of poker is going up. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up this you-can't-see-me dispute because, um, I mean – the the people who are classless are not Caitlin Clark or or Angel Reese. I mean, Caitlin Clark is a baller, and like you said, she came out and did the classy thing and said, "Hey, stop, stop trolling Angel Reese." I would have done the same thing. The people who are classless are the ones who are out there on the uh, on social media trolling Angel Reese, trolling Dawn Staley. They hate these teams that are majority African American apparently. And, you know, if, if the, if the Iowa team does the same exact thing that South Carolina does or LSU does, they have a big problem with it. It's, it's totally hypocritical. And I'm glad you brought it up. You I'm know, not, I'm not defending, uh, Caitlin in, in any way, as far as her actions, you know, not meriting any kind of criticism as well, but in the context, you know, Caitlin did that in front of her own team, basically like, you know, showing them that they can't see me. Angel took it to a different level. Now I'm not going to say Angel should be the one criticized for that. She just took it to a different level. Um, but to say, you know, that the equivalency is that Caitlin did the exact same thing. Angel did. She didn't, but I don't care. And I think that that's the point that house is trying to make is this is just good all the way around for the future of women's college basketball. The fact that we are talking about it and that we are leading our pod with this versus, you know, an, an insane, crazy NCAA men's basketball tournament, that's nothing but good. Uh, yeah, what, you're what right. I don't want right. to see, what I don't want to see is it become uh, an issue upon racial or class lines. And hopefully the talking heads, the Twitterati, uh, are calming down a little bit and appreciating. And the fact that Caitlin said it didn't bother her, uh, the fact that, um, you know, Kim Mulkey, who we can talk about later, some of her antics, <laughs> <laughs> but but Kim, Kim Mulkey was extremely nice and complimentary and called Caitlin Clark a generational player. And that was very well appreciated. I, I think... I think that, you know, I'm not saying these teams love each other, but at the same time, I think that that the media tried to hype and trump up something that really didn't exist. You know, people, people our age just need to accept the fact that things have changed. 
you know, back when I was playing sports, if someone came up to me and did that, you can't see me face gesture, I, I probably would have punched their hands so they were slapped themselves right in their own face. It just wasn't acceptable back Don't then to yourself. do that you crap. Would do that. No, you know, no, you didn't do that crap. You just didn't do it. But now everybody does it. And so if it's okay for the men to do it, it's okay for the women to do it. If it's okay for Caitlin Clark to do it, it's okay for Angel Reese to do it, period. I, I will say that, uh, you know, notwithstanding the incredible play of Iowa and Caitlin Clark, you know, she had she set a scoring record for for both men's and women. She beat Glenn Rice's record with 191 points yeah. for a tournament, eight threes in a championship. Uh, game 60 assists across all all records um the first first men or women's player with a 40 point triple double but notwithstanding all that uh you probably also heard that uh the first lady jill biden suggested that maybe both teams should come to the white house for a celebration that's bad that's really bad to the winner goes the spoils and 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 lsu uh felt continued disrespect even after having won it i agree with them uh if iowa wants to go to the white house and you want to celebrate caitlin clark they need to win a championship period right right. that's just uh, i'm not even gonna say it never mind (laughs) (laughs) it just just wasn't thinking congrats to women's tournament it's funny on this pod in the last couple years we were busy punching the ncaa uh during during the uh during the pandemic, remember they weren't giving yeah, them the same, right. same conditions and all that stuff. The women's tournament was like in a great on a great great stage this year. Congrats to to the sure entire was. women's tournament. Hope you're a student of uh, men's March Madness. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this year we had no number one, two, or three seeds in the finals. We had a number four against the number five seed. Nonetheless, how do you how do you rank this overall? Uh, March twenty twenty three March Madness. <clears throat> well, I mean, we always say it, and it's but it's always true. The tournament never fails to surprise and amaze us, and you know it's still the best three weeks that we have in the year as far as just entertainment and um, and and watching these kids compete at at such a high level. Uh, and the heartbreak and the, the joy of victory, um, there, there's just nothing like it. Uh, and this tournament didn't disappoint, right? Um, yeah, we had uh, the second highest seeded Final Four, um, second only to 2011, where uh, it was this year it was 5.75 for the teams in the Final Four. Last 2011 was 6.5. Uh, somebody could probably tell me who won in 2011 too, right? UConn. So UConn's been the benefit of the two highest seeded Final Fours. Doesn't take anything away from them, but it you play who you play. You can't you can't pick who you get to play. Uh, they were, I in my opinion, they were misseeded. Uh, they probably should have been at lowest. They should have highest. They should have been a three. Um, but you know they lost that last game to Marquette. That probably cost them a seed. Uh, I I think you know you had. Probably the greatest upset in NCAA history. Uh, apologies to the retrievers of UMBC, but uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, the smallest team in the you know in the tournament, knocked off Goliath uh, with their seven-two center uh, player of the year. Player of the year, you know Purdue, 
Uh, don't ever buy stock in Purdue, Bison, anybody else. Or <laughs> lost now. 16, 15, and 13 the last three years. But, but you know, the the excitement of that, then having, you know, the, the 15 seed, um, Princeton uh, advance, uh, and then play, you know, well into the uh, round of 32. Um, it, it, it was, it was, to me, it was a great tournament and, and my team was not in there. My adopted team didn't stay very long, but yet I was not going to miss any of it. You know, there wasn't any thought to not watching the, the sweet 16 elite eight and, and final four, because I love college basketball. And if you love college basketball, you love this tournament period. Yep. Uh, I know it's hard to predict given the transfer portal and guys declaring early for the NBA, but um, it looks like uh, UConn is coming out as, you know, Vegas's favorite already for next year. What do you think, Pope? Who are the, who are going to be the strong teams next year? Well, yeah, you're right. We don't know what the transfer portal is going to yield. I mean, Duke is going to be loaded. They got the number one consensus number one uh, recruiting class coming in uh, along with a couple of their guys who are staying. Um, you know, the Blue Bloods are going to reload. I think Houston will be up there. Um, Florida Atlantic, they're bringing back some of the same guys. I don't know if there'll be a top 10 team, but, you know, you never know until the tournament kind of run they'll make. Uh, to me, the the big question, though, is, is this, is this an anomaly having San Diego State and Florida Atlantic uh, in the Final Four, you know, the mid-majors, um, who, who did it largely based on two things, transfer portal and the fact that some guys were able to come back for their COVID year. Well, that's going away, obviously. You're not going to have COVID years in perpetuity. And uh, the transfer portal, you know, it'll help those teams. But will we see a reemergence of the NIL in this, are you going to see the powerhouses consolidate again because they have the advantage of using NIL? Um, I don't know. I think that's where, where to me, more, more interesting than who's going to be, uh, you know, on the top the next couple of years is, is it going to be mid majors who are going to make a yearly return to the final four, whether it's one or two, uh, or will, or will the ACC, Big 12, Big East, uh, maybe the Pac 12 when they consolidate? Um, you know, are those conferences going to dominate? Uh, I mean, if you look at the the last what seven or eight winners, I mean, you've got you got Big East, ACC, Big Twelve has have dominated. But this year we had some um, Elite Eight, Final Four teams who were not in those in those conferences who seemed to me to be comprised of more upperclassmen than you typically see these well, days. Well, yes. Yes, that one of the reasons is because they they have their COVID year, uh, and another reason is because of NIL. You'll have some guys who will stay around and not try to get drafted in the if they're not guaranteed first round picks. I mean, there's only thirty of those. I mean, so then you got second round. You're not guaranteed, and yeah, European league. Well, hell, some of these NIL deals are better or about the same as the European league. So the guys right. stay around for college. I think that's good for the college game. Yep. I think you're going to have more experienced veteran teams, and if you cohesive can put it together, teams, yep. yeah, and if, and if you can put it together with some transfer portal magic, you can make a run. You can make a run a lot easier, a lot easier in the NCAA basketball tournament than you can in the future college football playoff tournament. What's think, Gonzaga going to look like next year? Seem like they're getting ready to have a little drop off. Well, Timmy says he's not coming back. 
Uh, he's been there only eight years, so he'll be gone. <laughs> he's going to transfer to S- San Diego State, where he'll be the youngest guy on the team. That's right. That's right. That would be <laughs> funny. Uh, Mark Fuse, uh, uh, he's an elite coach. He's going to be able to put together a good squad. Uh, you know, maybe they're not going to be uh, as elite as they were this year, but they'll be back. Um, I think we, I, I think overall, like we talked about it during the year about parity overall during the NCAA season. And I think you're going to continue to see more and more of that. It, it already started, the product already started to degrade for years now when players can leave earlier and teams don't stay together. But now more than ever with kids choosing G League out of high school instead of NCA with the transfer porter, like you said, like with the NIL money, I just see a dilution of the, nobody ran away with it the whole year. I mean, yeah, Houston had a good record, but nobody ran away with it. There was no prohibitive favorite. And I, it's not like you, we saw a team in this tournament where we say, look out for them next year. Is is there any prohibitive favorite next year? I mean, I as currently constituted, right, because they're going to be different next year. Right. Right. There's going to be guys going to the NBA from UConn. Although I, t- I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to seeing Klingon play full-time instead of just coming in off the bench to spell Sunogo. I think that guy's going to be a uh, lottery pick someday if he stays for a year or two. Who, Klingon or yeah. Sunogo? Yeah. No, Klingon. Klin- Klingon. Isn't Sunogo going pro? I think he is. Yeah. He's got to be a lottery pick. I mean, what the, there's t- they're talking late upside. First, they're talking late first round, early second round for Sonogo because of kind of size. He's, it, you know, it's like a, so weird. He's maybe plays power forward. He's a little bit mis, mis- size for the NBA. He, he doesn't have, he has no jump. I mean, he's got no hops whatsoever. Yeah. Did you see him dunk the ball once the whole tournament? I don't mm-hmm. think so. He's, he's got to be he's like probably. six, nine, six, ten. And, you know, he, he just doesn't, um, he, he need. I think he needs to get into better shape because he's not able to get any lift. And if he's just going to be a hard work and rebounding put back kind of guy, who's got a decent shot from outside, he needs to be able, needs to be in better shape. So he could be a disappointment in the NBA. I'll tell you who I don't think will be is Jordan Hawkins. He will not be a disappointment. That guy is going to get better every year. And he's gonna he's gonna be if he's gonna be like if Grant Hill had stayed healthy. Well, that's a pretty that's big a comparison. Big... But yeah. he has he has a similar game uh, to that. I do think he's gonna be a good NBA player. Well, I mean, I I think other than of course uh, Lamont Butler, and uh, we didn't talk about this, but you realize that shot by Lamont Butler was the first true buzzer beater. Uh, as we, that we've ever had in the final four. And by that, I mean, the team losing to take that, that that I mean, yeah, it was outcome determinative. And if they hadn't made it, the other team would have won. If he made it, then they win. Uh, Cause like Chris Jenkins and uh, um, who else? Jalen Suggs and Derek Wittenberg, Lorenzo Charles, those were all tied games. And that was the, uh, was the uh, late shot in the finals. He's smart. No, that was in the elite eight. He's smart. Was, uh, with time left, uh, that's why it wasn't oh, a quote unquote buzzer beater. Buzzer beater. Yeah, wow. there was there was still some time left, but um, uh, where were we, what were we talking about? 
We're just talking about <laughs> we're talking about Yukon's excellence. That's what we're talking about. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> how, Rooster, how crazy was it in Milford last night? Oh man. I, I mean, people on people <laughs> on Facebook from Milford were going crazy. Um it, I had one friend send me a message that said, Yukon either wins it all or sucks ass. There's no in between. <laughs> And that's kind of true. We've had, we've won five titles since '99, but we've missed the tournament eight times during that period, and and in seven of the ones that we made it, we were we were out one and done in the first round. So it's pretty last two you, years. You, you UConn is really winner winner bust. Not much in between. But this year, I, I don't know. I just I tell you, I enjoyed this team maybe the most of all five championships. Um, Maybe maybe a close second or first would have been the 2013-2014 uh, team led by Shabazz Napier, that w- the year that Kevin Ollie won it as coach, for the same shot. reason. For the same reason, they were a seven seed that year, and they didn't have all these stars on the team. You know, every other every other team had a superstar like Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton, Amika Okafor, Kemba Walker. This year's team had some stars, you know, Sonogo, I don't think he's going to be a superstar and Jordan Hawkins is young and, and Donovan Klingon is very young, um, but they were so balanced. And I, and I actually think the story was their defense. Yeah. Everyone, we, we kept hearing about San Diego state's defense. Yeah. UConn suffocated San Diego state. And in fact, they held the last three teams they played to and Gonzaga. Yeah. 30 Gonzaga. Um, who they play after that? Uh, Miami before Miami before that Arkansas, Gonzaga, Miami, and then San Diego State. They held them to about thirty-three percent shooting from the floor, which is bad. So their defense was amazing, but their balanced offense too is a whole new look for UConn with under Dan Hurley. I mean, you you see them moving and weaving at the top of the key to start every every possession. Teams are exhausted trying to keep up with that. And they, these guys have just bought into Dan Hurley's style of play. And, and the, he just has a great cast of, of, of role players to compliment Sonogo Hawkins. And then one day, um, lurch. Well, I, what I was going to say is that uh, Hawkins, we were talking about, you know, kind of shots of the tournament. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if, if Connecticut wouldn't have already wouldn't have won, but I think it would have been maybe down to the, to the uh, to the finish, if Hawkins doesn't bury that three when they're down, when San Diego State had charged, make it down by five. Hawkins gets that right off the screen and just turns around and buries that three to make it eight, and then they go on a run after that. Yep. But if Hawkins yep. misses that shot, and San Diego State comes down and makes it a one possession game, yeah, I mean all bets are off because teams. It's it's like Barkley said, you know, we don't we haven't seen Connecticut sweat and we don't know how they're going to react. But San Diego State knows what they're doing. They've won the last two games by one point. Yep. So that that was, I mean, I think we all said the it. probably texted it. It's like dagger. I mean, that was it. Eight points, it, and you can't come back from that. I have to tell you, I was nervous when San Diego State whittled it down to five. And But you know who wasn't nervous is Dan Hurley. I mean, for a young coach, that guy has amazing composure. And confidence. I mean, and it seems to have permeated the whole team. They just never panicked. What did you tell them in the huddle? He said, 
no more turnovers and we win the national championship. Yeah, I think he's I think he's already a better coach than the uh the one and only Jim Calhoun. Whoa. Wow. I, I love I love what, what Jay Wright said after the game, which was that Connecticut was improving with each con- consecutive game. You could see the team gel and get better and better and better. And he said, and you want to know something the way Dan Hurley coaches this team. If they played tomorrow, they would play even better. They just kept climbing together as a team, getting better with each successive game. Well, they started the season unranked and you know, one of the guys who was a big contributor last night, Tristan Newton scored 19 points. And I think at 10 rebounds, he was a transfer and they didn't gel start to gel with him until sometime around the Big East tournament, um, which, as you know, they lost to Marquette. So, yeah, they, they did keep getting better because they were continuing to to play together with a guy they hadn't played with last year or even all year. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have to bring up my team in uh, talking about the tournament overview. The, the contrast between what Carolina and UConn did, Carolina started the year preseason number one. UConn started the year unranked. Both teams had very stressful Decembers where they lost four or five or six games. UConn responded and and went on a run and won the national championship. Carolina folded and missed the tournament. So really, really good job by Dan Hurley. But what it shows you is that we may be missing the boat completely on teams next year that can that can put it together and peak and make a run because of the way the new NCAA is constituted. Well, it also shows you that the Big East is back. I know Bison and I are beating that one to death, but they are back and they're tough as nails and they have a lot of good teams. And so if you come out of the Big East and go into March Madness, you're you're like war ready at that point. And it really helped UConn. I mean, other than other than maybe sometimes DePaul, who's been at the bottom of the heap, when you lose in the Big East, it's not like the biggest shock because any of those teams from Providence to Seton Hall to Syracuse to St. John's, Marquette, Xavier, Creighton, they're all capable of a win and capable of a run. And the Big East steals you for this tournament. Believe it or not, Syracuse is gone from the Big East. Oh, that's and true. Oops. It's it's a damn shame, but it's it is true. a damn shame. Is it a damn shame? I'm stuck in that forever yeah. Big East world with Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. Hey, one last thing about Adama Sonogo. I, I know I mentioned it in a previous pod um, that he's been going through Ramadan. Well, you know, I forgot that Ramadan lasts for two weeks and is still going on. So. For the last two weeks, he's had no food or water from sunup to sundown every day. He's just an amazing guy. And he's a he's a really nice guy, too. Did you hear his interview after the game? Yeah, he's yeah. just full of um, grace and gratefulness to his coach and his teammates and just, just a really good guy. I mean, whoever does draft him is going to get a great locker room guy. I just hope he – I just hope he – finds a way to make it work at the next level because he doesn't have the athletic skills as some of the other people he'll be playing against. Well, before we move on from the NCAA tournament, you know, we uh, need to, I guess, pour one out if you want to call it that for 
Jim Nance called oh, his final. Man. Yes. Final, final game after 32 years of sappiness <laughs> and and coming up with just the worst cliche. Goodbye, but... friends. Hello, friends. So I love um, the guy. I love the guy. Well, how can you not? I mean, he's got to, yeah. you know, but but uh, he's he's moving on to uh, continue to do, of course, Augusta and, and CBS uh, golf and uh, and in football. But, um, you know, since 1991, that's been the voice of the NCAA tournament for all of us. And so uh, it will be a little different next year with Ian Engel and good luck to him. I don't know if they're going to bring back Rafferty and, and Grant Hill. Um, I could do without Rafferty. I like Grant Hill. So oh, I like Rafferty. Him. I thought he was a good oh. compliment to Nace yeah, or Nance. Just... I'm sorry. Nance's syrupiness with the kiss. Well, organize the puppies. Oh, God. <laughs> Go to the pasture, Bill. All right. Anything else on the journey? Congrats, Rooster. Yeah, okay. man. It's a big one. It's been a while, man. It's feel, feels good. I it's been too Wait, long. Are we so did, did we cover blue bloods then? Well, Yukon's a blue blood end of discussion. What else do you need to talk about? <laughs> well, yeah, but but it's uh do do they you know if you look at the blue bloods now, I mean I, I think I'd sent this out earlier. It's like is UCLA, is Indiana, are they still blue bloods? UCLA won all their titles between sixty and 70 and they've won only one since well pope i think this is your whole point earlier about is is blue blood now have to be redefined by you know obviously championships means the most but how do you define a blue blood because part of it dealt with dynasty and players for staying three four years now it's just adding up championships you know if you're a really good team your players are going to be there at duke or north carolina for one year maybe two years i have a serious question do you think anyone cares whether a team is considered a blue blood? Well, the teams do for recruiting purposes. Sure. Yeah. TV cares. Media cares. Hope does. I, for sure. I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing <laughs> that had it been a uh, a North Carolina UCLA final of two blue bloods, I'm guessing the ratings would have been a lot higher than UConn San Diego State. So I think the TV cares in, in that way as to whether it's a blue blood in the finals. Have we seen the ratings yet from last night? No, I have not. I, it would be interesting to compare them to Kansas Carolina because that was two huge blue bloods. And then the final four games, you know, how do they compare to the Nova Kansas Carolina Duke games last year? By the way, if you're going to define blue bloods by number of championships, does Kansas even belong in the conversation? Well, do they have two or three in the last uh, 25 uh, years? Like four. I think they have four total. And, you know, some were, a couple of them were a while ago. Well, 80s. the fun thing is like. Well, they went with, with uh, Larry Manning. Brown. Yep. They won. Danny uh, Manning. They won. You know, well, they've won twice with Bill Self. So they've had three. You know, we were complimenting. We were complimenting Tom Izzo earlier in this tournament. I'm not sure people ever really put Michigan State in the blue blood category, but they were in 25 consecutive NCAA tournaments in like 16 Sweet 16s. I mean, and yet nobody really counts them as a blue blood. It's a winner's world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, and UConn sitting on top of it. 
Hey, uh, you guys want to move on to the Masters? Of course. Pope, Milk's not here. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about it after after the fact for sure. But let's get into some predictions. Who do you think is going to take it this year? Well, I mean, I, you know, let's let's talk about the tournament real quick, and then we'll go there. Uh, this first time um, in a long time that we've had uh the renegades from the live tour uh come back and compete uh against the pga tour and it's certainly going to lead for some interesting conversation and comparison during the week i mean because you could argue the live guys are not nearly as tournament ready as the pga guys tour guys uh and and so will kepka who won last week uh with live you know, is he going to be able to compete? Will we see him in the final two or three pairings on the weekend? Um, you know, where's DJ and all of this? Does Cam Smith, uh, who hasn't, you know, competed as much since the Open Championship, is he going to be able to come back to form? It's going to be really interesting. Um, Scotty Schiffler's obviously playing world-class elite golf. Uh, he missed a four-foot putt uh, against Sam Burns in the match play. Otherwise, he probably would have, you know, won three out of four tournaments or something like that, like he did last year. Uh, Rory seeking his career slam. He, for whatever reason, he seems to have issues closing the deal at Augusta. Um, Tiger hadn't played since Riviera seven weeks ago. I, I don't think Tiger's a serious uh, candidate, you know, to win, but he'll be a fascinating story to watch. He's going to be able to make the cut. I think that'll be the big story Friday afternoon. Um, Sam Burns, who, who won the match play, is playing really well. He's a great young golfer to watch, as is Cam Young. And don't forget about John Rahm. So that all being said, uh, oh. What about yeah. what about what about the American boy Spieth and JT? Well, you know, JT and Spieth aren't playing as well right now as you would hope going into uh the Masters. Uh, now Spieth's always a threat to win Augusta because he's won before and he knows how to win there. Um but JT uh I'm I'm not seeing it. I don't I don't have JT in, you know, my final three or four uh pairings on Sunday. Um, I put, you know, I, I have Spieth as my sleeper, I guess, if that's possible, um, because he hasn't, he hasn't won in a while. Um, and you know, he's, he's always, like I said, he, he's always a threat at Augusta to put it together. It's going to be interesting guys. I don't know if y'all have followed the weather forecast, like, like your uh, pod weather guy, but, um, it looks like it's going to be nasty. (laughs) It's going to be nasty. It's going to be rainy, uh, rainy and cold. And the course, uh, uh, the guy who's uh, my former favorite golfer now dead to me, Phil said that it's going to play really long. Uh, So that will make it a more interesting tournament for all. But um, when it's all said and done, I'm going to go and I'm going to ride the horse that is playing the best golf right now. And he just has the temperament and the uh the skill set that he could he could win another three or four green jackets i'm going to say scotty is going to do it again what about you house who do you have winning and who's your uh sleeper well i think we're going to get some serious drama on sunday we're going to have a repeat of a final of last year but this time we're going to have a live golfer steal the show and i do think cam smith is going to pull this thing off I am going with Cam Smith. I think Pope makes a great point that these guys might be playing on different different 
courses with different uh, level players that they're playing against. This guy is a superstar, could have, should have pulled it off last year. I think Cam Smith is going to put this thing on his shoulders and win it. My uh, sleeper is Sahith Sigala. Yeah. This guy has been playing great lately. And I just think that there's always some guy that sneaks into the top 10 and you're like, who is that? And where did he come from? I think for people who follow golf, they won't really be saying it about this guy. But for most people, get used to the name this weekend, Sahith Sigala. Who's he um, paired with, House? I was looking at the pairings, and I, I noted that pairing. I'll tell you in a second while Rooster's giving his uh, Rooster Damas picks here. Well, I'm going to give you Milk's picks first because he texted him to us. He's got Scheffler winning, and for his sleeper, he's got Max Homa. Ooh, I like Max. And I'll tell you, that's Max is who I'm rooting for as my sleeper, but since Milk picked him, I'm going to say that the two guys I think who are hot, who could be sleepers right now, are Jason Day and Cam Young. And I agree with Pope. I think Scotty is the first back-to-back Masters winner since Tiger Slam in 2001 and 02. I just think he's he's playing like a machine these days. Nothing's getting into his head. So Sagala is playing with Patrick Reed and Adam yes. Svensson. Yes. Oh, Patrick God. Reed and Adam oh. Svensson from Canada. Canada. So I think we're all oh, going to be I want to see I want to see Rory square off with Patrick Reed. I think that's why he's been pumping iron for the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to see a Rory Reed uh, pairing on Sunday, wouldn't we? Rory would kick his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a Scotty and and Cupcake, a little Brooksy. Uh, You know, (laughs) those would be some dream pairings. (laughs) Hey, uh, House, uh, you say you have a lasso. Ready to give it? I, it it's a it's a combo lasso combined punch. with a with a backside punch. Come on, man! And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. It's it's interesting that you brought this thing up about Sonogo, uh, because as you pointed out right now, uh, we're in the period of Ramadan, which includes fasting from sunrise to sunset, which for any high level athlete, even after the day has ended, it just takes a toll on your body. And my, my lasso is for the Premier League which is filled with a bunch of players who um, honor Ramadan. And what they've done is for any game that is still being played uh, where it, the game starts before sunset and then continues, uh, they're giving the players a chance to take a break in the middle of the game and eat and drink. And I just, I think that's really great. Yep. And at that level, particularly with everything that's going on in uh, in soccer around the world and a lot of hate and racism and, and ugliness, that the Premier League gets it. Like, imagine something like the NFL 
where, you know, you're not even allowed to kneel or anything like that. Imagine the NFL doing something. I just think it's a classy move and recognizes the international makeup of its players. Unfortunately, on the other side of that is the French Football Federation, FFF, which regulates uh, the, the League One, the top league in France, who are refusing that, which is why it's uh, my backside punch. The French League said that Football does not take into account the political, religious, ideological considerations of its actors. What a bunch of horseshit. Like, how about just humanity? Right. Humanity. It's like not that big of a deal. Oh, I, didn't, I had not heard that. That I agree with you. Hey, Pope, did you have a punch? Is there a punchable face? No. Uh, well, I mean, can can, can we... Uh... I guess it's um, <laughs> he's got to be delicate here. Don't Very punch a delicate. woman. Please, please don't punch a woman. Yeah. He's, he's um, about to. <laughs> Jesus. Can we, can we have the refs in the game puncher? Bison, yeah. Bison, well, I'd like is, to, you need to cut this segment. Go ahead. I'd like to punch the refs. Right. I thought that, I thought that game was horribly refereed uh, against both squads. It wasn't just against Iowa, but that technical against Caitlin Clark was a joke. And that, Totally changed the pace of that game because she had to play different with four fouls. Um, just totally unwarranted. Uh, you can't call it call that at that time. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ruminate about what I will call this. But Kim Mulkey um, just drove me nuts on on Sunday. Uh, you know I don't know whether it's the uh, the bedazzled uh, tiger gear look that she had going. Uh, with the high heels or the way that she would stand on the floor and and stomp and gyrate and jump around on the floor, not not on the sideline. While the team has the ball in the offense, whatever side of the floor that she's standing on, and it got to the one point where she was trying to flag the ref or gyrate or something, and the ref tried to like push her back, and she held on to the ref. Um, she was wearing giant heels she had to or yes. she would have fallen over well, probably so i mean but y- y- you know look it's it's not about kim mulkey it's about her players and i guess at the end of the day uh her players love her and she's a great coach i uh, just you know maybe just don't do quite the show that you put on and i realize the first time that 10 million people have watched a, a women's uh, NBA uh, NCAA game, and, and you wanted to put a show on. Well, you did. You made your point. Um, so not a punch, but you know, just be better. Uh, you know, LSU women are pulling in probably fourteen thousand uh, a game for their home games. This is they're, they're used to the big crowds. Um, they they draw more than Milk's uh, Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to give it to the LSU administration for going out and get Kim Mulkey because yeah. you know, she's a, a stud coach for Baylor. And um, she played at Louisiana Tech, won a couple uh, titles there. Uh, so, you know, getting her to come back to Louisiana and establish LSU as a powerhouse, uh, it really does add to um, the sense that, that women's basketball is uh, headed in the right direction. I'm not sure I'd want to hang out with her, but you can't take anything away from her achievements as a player and coach as Just a player getting... and coach um you can't there's a lot of controversy that follows her. there's there were a lot of news stories uh eventually Brittany Griner revealed that 
she was not allowed to come out while she was a player at Baylor. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a don't ask, don't tell policy because uh, Mulkey didn't want to affect recruiting. And she Mulkey is not well liked in the LGBTQ community. Uh, she straddles the fence. She says she needs to do that for the kind of the surroundings where she is in the South. And uh, look, you can't, like you said, you can't deny her success as a coach, but she's not without controversy. That's for sure. And the way she conducted herself, like Pope said in that game was just like the refs needed to rein that in. Let's punch the refs. Although and her, so and her um, wardrobe person. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> we All right. wouldn't punch, punch any women. All right, fellas. Anything else? Hey, come back, fans. Next week, uh, we'll have Bison oh, yeah. and Nofak, and we're, we are going to get to our MLB preview, and there's a very good chance the Phillies will have won a game by then. But Wait, not is tonight. That the, is Just that not the tonight. Clearwater <laughs> Phillies or the yes. Major League Baseball Phillies? It's the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. We'll Speedy have a lot off. to talk about because first week of baseball has been fascinating, breaking it down and uh, what a product they're putting on the field. It really has. It really has been. I, I think these rules have been a success so far. It's a good teaser for next week. See you all next week on 110. It's a new game. Any, anybody see that bomb Giancarlo Stanton hit? SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.